Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Rob Porter here on 970 AM, 93.1 FM. Good afternoon, Nolan. How are you? I'm doing quite well. How are you? I am doing well. We have a busy show coming up in just a moment. Going to be talking with Tony Sag. He is the Assistant Secretary of Public Affairs for the Department of the Treasury. President Trump, of course, in North Dakota yesterday talking about tax reform. We'll get a little bit more information from Mr. Sag about that. Also coming up later in the program, State Senator Tom Campbell is going to be on. Tom is running for the United States Senate, challenging uh, Heidi Heitkamp. He's got an op-ed on SayAnythingBlog.com today uh, calling Heidi Heitkamp a, a, a Trump obstructionist, although, frankly, the two seemed pretty chummy yesterday. So we'll talk with Senator Campbell about that. Also some breaking news on SayAnythingBlog.com, speaking of the uh, United States Senate race, Border States Electric CEO Tammy Miller. Now, Border States Electric, of course, is a uh, a very large company headquartered in Fargo. Uh, for those of you who don't know, um, you know they they do a ton of business. They have thousands of employees. Uh, Miller has been their CEO since 2006. She is considering a run uh, as a Republican to challenge Heidi Heitkamp for. Uh, that seat in the United States Senate. All the details up at sayanythingblog.com if you want to check that out. Uh, now let's go to our guest, Tony Sag. Uh, Tony, how's it going? Rob, great to be with you and your listeners. Thanks so much for having me. So the president yesterday talking about tax reform, talking about how if, if, if we lower taxes, if we, can, if we can simplify the tax code and lower rates, we could set this economy on fire again honestly i i think those are two i mean a lot of times when we talk about taxes we talk about the rates you know where we're going to set the rates i think what sometimes gets glossed over is just the reform of the code itself because in a lot of ways that's almost a tax rate on top of the tax rate just in complying with the stinking thing and i i think that's what drives a lot of people into tax avoidance whether it's legal tax avoidance by moving operations offshores or otherwise you know moving to other jurisdictions or Unfortunately, I I don't condone it, but it's a reality. Fraud, uh, you know, just just breaking the law. Uh, so, I, I, do we know yet? I mean, I'm I'm waiting to, to get details about this plan, you know, from the president. What is this going to look like, and how much is it just going to be adjustments to rates, and how much is it going to be reformed to the actual code we have to comply with? Well, Rob, you you correctly point out that we're talking about two things. We're talking about tax reform and tax cuts. And together, the desired effect is to get this economy growing again at a sustained rate of around 3%. We haven't been there since the financial crisis in 2008. And this also, of course, is going to incentivize job creation and wage growth, two other things that we have not seen happening in in nearly enough kind of record fashion uh, since the financial crisis. Now, the president's been very successful uh, on the regulatory side and, you know, obviously working hard to make sure American businesses know they have an ally in the White House now. He's going to use his bully pulpit as he has from the start to advocate for job creation and American business growth and wage growth. And for the American worker, um, we've had good job creation numbers this year. It's going to get even better uh, once we get tax reform done. So it really does boil down to two kind of sides of, of the tax reform ledger. On the individual side, the focus, to your point, is simplification. We're going to get it to a place where over 90% of American taxpayers get to do their tax returns on a single 
page. We're going to eliminate a lot of the special interest loopholes and deductions. To your point, that has left over 60% of Americans feeling the system is rigged against them. We're going to double the standard deduction, which means $24,000, the first $24,000 of the uh, married couple's income is, is not taxed. And we're going to get that code simplified. On, on the middle income tax side, what we're going to do is, uh, along with a standard deduction, lower the rates and collapse from seven to three brackets and put a lot more people in a lower tax bracket. So that's what we're working and focusing on as far as the individual taxpayer. On the business side, and it's not just corporate, it's the business side, we're looking at significantly lower rates uh, to get businesses in this country growing, raising people's paychecks. Uh, we think the American worker has hardly benefited enough, and it's, it's seen in the wage stagnation of the last eight years, from the, the economic environment where we need to make American business more competitive. And that's also including the corporate rate, which we have at nearly one of the highest in the industrial world at 35%, getting it closer to as, uh, the, the, a lower rate as possible to make sure that our businesses don't continue to keep a lot of their profit and productivity offshore and reinvest it here into the country uh, to create jobs and give our workers a pay increase. That all sounds great to me. Um, now, as a conservative, though, one thing that worries me is, is I don't want to engage in the sort of tax reform that is going to add to the national debt, right? I, I mean, I, I just think that that's that's as fiscally irresponsible as, as overtaxing people with a with a Byzantine tax code. I don't want to just pass the buck on for today's spending to my children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. So I, I imagine eventually we're going to get a bill, and eventually that bill is, is going to undergo some sort of scoring about what it's going to do to our budget in terms of revenues and, and deficits and everything like that. I, I wonder, though, this, 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 this wonders me, if, if, if there's a lot of reform – to the actual code itself, is the enforcement cost of, of, of the, the federal government, of, of the department that you work for, the Department of the Treasury, the enforcement cost of enforcing the code, is that going to be part of that picture? Because I think a lot of times that sometimes gets left out when we're talking about tax reform and what it actually costs. I mean, is, is that going to be a focus saying, well, listen, we're going to have fewer IRS agents, we're going to have fewer you know, costs of, of the federal government just having to go through and, and make sure everybody's following the law? Well, look, first and foremost, when you get 90% of taxpayers able to do their tax returns on, on one page, I think enforcement becomes a lot easier because there's, there's not as many places to defer uh, and obviously make deductions. We're, we're going to double the standard deduction, which covers the vast majority of taxpayers from having to itemize. Um, and I don't think enforcement costs are, are going to go up at all. I think quite the contrary. I think they'll probably uh, go down at, at, significantly. But that, that being said, let's talk about your other question about the deficit. Look, we are very concerned that in the eight years of the prior administration, we literally saw the country double the national debt from 10 to $20 trillion. Um, the greater problem is how do you solve that problem when you have suboptimal economic growth of under 2% for the last eight years? Uh, you can't. And the reality is we need to stimulate this economy through the private sector in a way that we can get to 3% growth. And the difference between 2 and 3% growth, Rob, is staggering. I mean, the compounding impact of that growth 
is in the trillions as far as revenue to the federal government over 10 years, is over 12 million jobs added, significantly reduces trade deficits. There's a lot of positive impact that comes from growth. So clearly, we're, we're looking at that. We're looking at broadening the base. And over 10 years, we do believe our plan is not going to increase the deficit. And, put, and it will furthermore put us in a much better and stronger economic position to address the debt problem, which you had rightly identified, as something that we've really not seen done effectively um, you know, in the last 10 years. So we really do want to make sure that the positive economic impact of, of strong economic growth is felt by every American. And the only way we could do that is by changing this really counterproductive, self-defeating tax code, uh, which along with lowering rates uh, by changing it, can get everybody in this economy, from workers to small business owners to middle-income families to hardworking shop owners on Main Street who have not felt really any of that economic benefit, um, to start getting that a, a lot more directly. One question I wanted to ask you, the president has used, and you, you mentioned the president using his bully pulpit. He has certainly done that early in his term with companies that move operations outside of the country, and, and that's a separate issue. But an issue that's related to our tax code is something that's called corporate inversion, which, which is where companies sort of organize themselves in a different taxing jurisdiction outside of the United States. And a big reason for that is obviously the problem that we're identifying here, which is high taxes, complex tax code. Is the president going to use his bully pulpit on, on some of these companies if, if we get some of this reform passed to say, hey, bring your operations back to the United States? Oh, absolutely. And you've seen them correctly, as you said, do it, do it already. Listen, one, one of the most important messages I think the, the president brought to, to his speech in North Dakota yesterday is changing us from this offshoring model, which has been disastrous for American workers and American families, because what we've done is incentivized our businesses to take their operations and their profits out of the country and go more toward what we, the president calls the American model, which reduces that burden on our businesses by not only lowering the tax rate uh, to be more competitive with the rest of the world, but to also take us from a worldwide system of taxing them to a territorial system. So what that basically means is under a worldwide system, they're allowed to defer if they, as long as they don't bring the profit back to the country, they're allowed to defer a lot of the, their tax burden and tax payments. But under a territorial system, they're going to have to pay tax no matter where the money is. So th that is another way we're going to be able to get a lot of these trillions back into the country, working on behalf of the American worker and working on behalf of our economy. And that's something that has to be changed and changed dramatically soon. We have a caller in just a couple minutes left. Stephen, real quick, what's up? Yeah, you know, I mean, everybody worries about the national debt. I think it's a non-event now that we can print money because we don't ever have to pay it back, and I don't think it's this country's intention ever to pay the debt back. We're just going to keep printing money because it's way easier to print money than it is to manufacture goods. We'll, man we'll buy the goods offshore. And let them do all the hard work and build the infrastructure. We'll just print a bunch of worthless paper, and that's, I think, how they're going to solve. Yeah, well, that's that's unfortunate. We we appear to have lost Tony, uh, some sort of a technical glitch, I think. Uh, but Stephen, thanks for your call. I, I share that concern. I mean, I I don't want to put our our country in a situation where okay, well, we're lowering taxes, but now we're not doing anything on the spending side as well. I we it seems like we've got to reform both. 
hand in hand. We've got to agree on an appropriate size of government and then fund that government with an appropriate level of taxes. If we want to pay less in taxes, then we have to accept that our government, by necessity, needs to get smaller because what's unacceptable is running up trillions and trillions of dollars of debt, which is how we've been financing the government, certainly uh, more so under the Obama administration than ever before. Uh, we do have Tony back. Tony, I, I don't know if you heard the end of that caller. The, the caller basically, you know, saying the government could just print money at this point. Uh, you know, I, I, th- I think alluding to, to the deficit issue. Any response to that? Well, well, look, obviously what we're trying to do more than anything is get this economy working the right way so everybody benefits from it. We've unfortunately had a system since the 31 years since we've had tax reform last in which you've had a lot of wealthy special interests, you know, get this code to a place where uh, the majority of Americans feel it's rigged against them and it's yeah. not doing enough to help our economy grow and, and help job creation and help wage growth. So I, I think when you, when you look at growth, obviously that is what's going to help us really address the larger issue of deficits and debt, and, and that's what sure. we're looking for. We're looking at 3% or, or more sustained economic growth, and with that comes a lot of other positive things, like being able to address the national debt. Last question, though. The president today apparently entering into a deal or, or rumors of a deal with uh, Democrats to, to get rid of the debt ceiling permanently. I, I think that gives a lot of conservatives heartburn. We love the idea of tax cuts, but we don't like the idea of tax cuts while spending goes through the roof. Uh, you know, those seem like two divergent approaches from, from the president. How, how do we reconcile these two policy pushes? Well, look, I think you bring up two very important but separate points. I do think we all support the idea of spending cuts and, and reforming the way Washington appropriates and budgets money. And you're, you've already seen the president be a strong advocate for, for those types of important spending cut reforms. He does it here within the, the, within the federal government. When you're talking about the debt ceiling, you're talking about money that's already been appropriated and authorized to have been spent. So when you focus on the fact that you, you, you have to pay your bills and protect the full faith and credit of the United States government, that's what you're referring to when you're talking about the debt ceiling. The spending cuts and spending reform absolutely can and should happen through the budgetary process. All right, Tony, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Hey, great to be with you. Thanks, Rob. That's Tony Sag, Assistant Secretary of Public Affairs for the Department of the Treasury. We're going to go to a break. We'll be back right after this. It's the Rob Report on 970 WDAY AM, 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, We'll be right back. Don't go away. All right, we're going to have a short segment here because uh, we went a little long with our last guest. But I, I don't know, Nolan. I, I mean, on, on one hand, I am I am very much for simplifying the tax code. I am very much for uh, lowering tax rates to something a little bit more reasonable. And I think if we do those things together, I, I think we could maybe recoup some, if not all, of, of the revenues lost through, you know, I mean, especially if we do reform. I mean, if you lower the rate but you get rid of a lot of the deductions and exemptions, you're going to get a simpler tax code and not necessarily lose a lot of revenue. You may even gain revenue because there's going to be a level of economic stimulus there as well. I support that idea, but when you have the president simultaneously out saying, well, let's get rid of the the debt ceiling, um, and, and even though the debt ceiling's not really been that much of a constraint on spending anyway, I mean, it, it's sort of become this, this, this uh, impetus for political brinksmanship but 
I, I don't know. I, I mean, it seems to me you need a consistent message coming from the president. We want fiscal responsibility. I don't. I mean, it seems to me he's he's communicating two divergent messages with these policies. Yeah, and it seems to me like this sort of issue is something that sounds so simple to fix on paper. You know, when the president speaks about it, it seems so yeah. simple to be done. But it really, it's it's a lot of complexities to it in order to. Well, everybody's in, in favor of simplifying the tax code until you say, okay, well then let's get rid of the mortgage deduction. Yeah. Oh, oh wait a minute. Right. Or, or let's get rid of let's get rid of uh, some child credit or something like that. Now, listen, I, I think we got to get rid of a lot of those credits and exemptions and everything. I, I think they just got to go because it's it's muddying the waters. It's making the, the code hugely complex. But every one of them's got a constituency and you're going to start a food fight anytime you, you talk about getting rid of any of them. All right. Break coming up. Then State Senator Tom Campbell running for the U.S. Senate coming up next on The Rob Report on 970 WDAY 93.1 FM. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report on 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM. Joining me now is State Senator Tom Campbell. He's from Grafton. He's a Republican, and he is challenging incumbent Senator Heidi Heitkamp for her Senate seat. He says that Senator Heitkamp is a Trump obstructionist. Senator Campbell, welcome to the program. Thanks for your time. Hey, great to talk to you, Rob. Uh, Happy to have you on. Uh, Certainly, uh, it's... Yesterday, I, I think the perception of a lot of people, certainly in the national media, is that pr- our president, Donald Trump, um, who you say that you are a very strong supporter of, was awfully chummy with Democratic Senator Heidi Heitkamp, who you want to replace in the United States Senate. Uh, yet you say that that Heitkamp is a Trump obstructionist. How, how do you reconcile those two things? Hello. Do we lose the senator? He should be there. He's been kind of spotty. I don't know when I when I talked to him when he was on hold. He was a little spotty, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe we lost him. He's. I. I don't know. I'm. Not, I'm not quite sure. Okay, Senator Campbell, are you there? All right. Well, we may not have Senator Campbell. We'll wait uh, certainly to get him back, uh, in hopefully here in just a moment. But uh, was you know just just asking Senator Campbell. You know, yesterday, uh, President Trump, uh, you know, awfully chummy with uh, Senator Heitkamp. Uh, and, you know, I, I think a lot of people perceiving that as, as Trump being friendly with her, Trump certainly wanting her her vote for tax reform. Uh, Senator Campbell wrote an op-ed for SayAnythingBlog.com today, uh, you know, basically asking why President Trump should need to hold a rally in North Dakota to convince Heidi Heitkamp to vote uh, for tax reforms. Uh, he writes, as a conservative farmer and businessman, I know President Trump is correct when he says that our tax system is uncompetitive and makes it harder to grow jobs. We need to overhaul the tax code to make it simpler and to ensure it is working for the people, not the special interests. That is just common sense, and North Dakotans overwhelmingly agree with it. So this begs the question, why should our president, who was elected with 63% of the vote, have to spend taxpayer dollars to hold a rally to persuade Senator Heitkamp to support tax reform? Um, Senator Campbell, I was just reading a little bit from your uh, op-ed today uh, that you sent out via email. We, we published it at sayanythingblog.com. Uh, but my question for you before we uh, we had a little bit of a drop-off there was, 
Um, you know, President Trump seemed awfully chummy with Senator Heitkamp yesterday, yet you say Senator Heitkamp is a, is a Trump obstructionist. How do you reconcile those two realities? Well, Rob, I guess I, I, uh, I disagree with you on that. Um, if she was so chummy, uh, and I see our North Dakota hardworking families are overwhelmingly have supported uh, the, the tax reform, why would he have to come out here? I, I think it was very clever for Donald Trump kind of going leapfrogging over the Senate and coming right to the people, knowing that they're overwhelmingly support the tax reform. So I just kind of find it frustrating. It's very clever for him to do what he had to do. But unfortunately, if he'd had a conservative senator there in the first place, he wouldn't have had to take a day off and spend millions of dollars to come and preach his tax reform that all the people want in the first place. 701-293-9000 if you want to join the program, 888-970-9329, email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, so you you want to replace Senator Heitkamp in, in, in the United States Senate. What would you do that's that's better than what Senator Heitkamp has done for North Dakota? Well, uh, great question, Rob. Um, basically, so far I've been aligning myself with Trump's agenda that just happens to be uh, exactly what I feel like. I'm a, I consider myself an outsider. I've been a a businessman all my life, and I'm just tired of you know being overregulated, um, more government, uh, Washington getting nothing done. Um, you know she hasn't supported Obamacare. There's one vote for that skinny repeal that they could have just brought it back up to the table to discuss. She wasn't there for that. Um, she's basically uh, a career politician. She's been kind of fighting a lot of the core values I feel that that North Dakota conservative, hardworking families support. So. I'm going to be there to just bring the message. And I think, you know, Rob, you know, five years ago when she went to Washington, I think she had great intentions of fixing her problems, but I think she's gotten wrapped around with the, uh, the Democratic Party, you know, led by our liberal Chuck Schumer, New York uh, liberals. And it's been hard for her to – she's one way in Washington, and when she comes back, she tries to give us these moderate values. And I know personally from traveling around the state, so many people – are just frustrated with it. And uh, especially yesterday, I was just overwhelmed with so many people that are coming up, but people I didn't even know that are seeing my ads that are saying, yes, go for it. We need somebody like you. Where'd you come from? We love it. So I've just been more encouraged than ever to just, I'm just bringing the message that, that I'm hearing from all the people in North Dakota. You call yourself an outsider in your ads. You called yourself an outsider just a moment ago. Uh, and I, I, I think I think North Dakotans and, and voters in, in general across the country, there's a lot of voters for which there's a lot of appeal. I think people are, are sort of tired of, of the the political status quo and, and the same old, same old. We saw that with President Trump's candidacy. We saw that here in the state with, with Governor Doug Burgum's candidacy. Uh, North Dakotans have an appetite for an outsider. But with your background specifically, you've been in the legislature for one, one and a half terms now, basically six years. Does that, do you still consider yourself an outsider despite serving in, in what Governor Burgum called during his campaign the quote-unquote good old boys club? Absolutely. First of all, I'm running for a federal position. I have zero uh, days in office in Washington. Um, also, too, I started a business over 40 years ago. I've only been in the session, which is a part-timers. We meet every other year for only 80 days. I've only been there for 240 days and basically 40 years in business, so I would consider myself even if I was running for state office, which I'm not, I would still consider myself an outsider because of my core values that I'm bringing, the, biz- the things I discovered in business, um, you know, starting most of them from scratch and just learning 
hard knocks, uh, what not to do, and bringing common sense. So I, I definitely, without a doubt, consider myself an outsider, Rob. It's looking like it's going to be a competitive Republican primary. You're you're the only candidate officially in the race so far, but there are a lot of other names considering. Uh, State Board of Higher Ed member uh, Kathy Nested uh, is considered Congressman Kevin Kramer. Uh, it certainly is not ruling out a, a run for the United States Senate. Uh, today, I just broke the news a little while ago on the blog, Border States Electric CEO Tammy Miller is considering a run. Um, so I, I think it's going to be a competitive race, which just generally I, I think is great. You know, if, if the Republicans have a, have a group of strong, uh, energetic candidates uh, that, that delegates and, and voters get to choose from, uh, I, I think that's a positive for the party. Uh, that said, I mean, obviously we've, we've seen, you know, Kramer and Burgum now uh, not, ex- not abide by the results of the NDGOP convention and run straight to the primary. If, if you were to, to go to a comp- competitive convention and lose the nomination there, would you go to the primary? You know, it's a good question. I haven't even thought of that right now. I'm I'm all in. I've been a strong Republican all my life, and uh, my plans and objectives are to win at the convention. So I, I just haven't even thought about it, to be honest with you. That's my plans is to win in uh, April in Grand Forks. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Now, now you've said you align very closely with President Trump's uh, agenda. He's done some things just in the last couple of days that have made uh, conservatives not so happy. He, he cut a... Uh, or uh, obviously this is not not a done deal yet, but but apparently reached uh, an agreement with Democratic leaders in Congress uh, to you know basically uh, fund the government for three more months, you know move the debt ceiling back three months in exchange for Hurricane Harvey relief and some other things. Uh, also has come out working with Democrats on on DACA, putting out a tweet apparently at Nancy Pelosi's request, uh, telling uh, the the quote unquote dreamers affected by the DACA policy uh, that they don't have anything to worry about. Uh, also saying that that he may have a deal with with Senate majority or excuse me Senate minority leader Chuck Schumer uh, to eliminate the debt ceiling entirely. Um, do you agree with all those policies? Well, you know it, it's it's interesting the uh, that debt ceiling that that deal that he discussed with them that was just before he flew out to North Dakota uh, yesterday morning. Um, I haven't had a lot of time to study the specific issues and it hasn't even been drafted into a bill yet. But I but I do know this, Rob. It is another perfect example of why we need more conservative senators like myself helping Trump with his conservative agenda in Washington. Because if he'd had, example, me or several more, this wouldn't have had to come up where he had to sacrifice and compromise with the liberal left on our conservative agenda. So that's, that's part of the problem that I want to fix. So this would have never had to come up in the first place. But it is you know, it's a great thing in the bill that it's helping the disaster in Houston. Um, we ship a lot of potatoes on it. I'm familiar with a lot of people, and that, that's just a, a really, really disaster to see. But it was great to see, probably the first time in a long time, where our left and the right and the you know conservative Democrats or conservative liberals and, and all of the like came in to help solve that problem and supporting that, that uh, hurricane down there. So it was great, great to see that. And uh, I just uh, would, would support uh, helping people in needs like that uh, all over again. Now, I... Senator Heitkamp has, has, is campaigning already. I know she's being coy about whether or not she's running for re-election. I don't know anybody in the history of North Dakota politics who has raised $3 million for a race and then decided not to run. So she's she's running. And obviously that's going to be a big challenge for Republicans. You know, I, I don't I think there's a lot of Republicans out there who are sort of saying that, that Heitkamp's in trouble, that she could be a pushover. And I don't think that's true. I think she's a... I think she's a smart, savvy, aggressive campaigner, and I think she's going to be a tough nut for you or any other Republican, frankly, uh, to, to crack. 
Uh, you're campaigning aggressively already as well. I, I think you have three TV ads out already. Um, are, are you worried that it's it's too early for, for North Dakota voters, that, that, that you could risk turning people off with a campaign starting that early, knowing certainly that, that there's a mountain to climb in, in terms of challenging Heitkamp, who is a, a popular in, incumbent? You know, I, I, I would disagree with you again, Rob. Um, I don't think it's too early. Even Kevin Kramer, who's a good friend of mine, who I discussed before I threw my hat in the ring, he said it's great. It's not too early. It's too early for him to decide, but it's not too early. We need all the time. It's going to be a big, important race to raise funds. You know, basically, I think uh, we need 14 months to raise funds to be competitive with her. Uh, we need lots of time. And uh, so far as I've been traveling the state, putting thousands of miles and meeting with hundreds of people, uh, everybody likes what they see so far, and it just takes time. Uh, a lot of people haven't seen me. I'm basically an outsider, so I'm probably not as well known as her. She's been a, a career politician all her life, so unfortunately she's got name recognition. But so far, I think she's been sacrificing that for uh, anti-pro-business um, uh, things that, that she's been not supporting that a lot of people I travel with see. You have six years in the state legislature, basically a term and a half. Um, you've been through, what, three legislative sessions now? Um, what yep. would you point yep. to as, as your accomplishments during that time that would commend you for, for service in the United States Senate? Well, you know, I, I believe without a doubt uh, I'm a good listener. Uh, in my district, I was one of the few senators that uh, spent time and, and uh, published my cell number, uh, brought the things that the people like. Uh, I shall their conservative values on, you know, I wanted, I supported less taxing, less government. Um, so I guess I would, re, you know, reiterate some of those same values that I'm going to be bringing to Washington, the same things that I listened to in District 19. And I know I've just got basically 47 districts instead of one. Um, I've gotten two or three issues a week, where most of my colleagues probably got one or two or three issues a year. So I will be out there uh, traveling. Nobody will outwork me. Uh, 14, 15, 16-hour days are nothing new. I've done it in business all my life, so I, I would welcome any, you know, any competition or anybody that wants to follow their democracy on running against me and, and uh, challenging me to those values. Senator, thank you for your time. Appreciate it. Great to talk to you, Rob. Have a good day. That's State Senator Tom Campbell. He is running for the United States Senate, hoping to unseat Democrat Heidi Heitkamp. We'll wrap up the show right after this. This is the Rob Report on 970 WDY AM and 93.1 FM. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Report on 970 WDY AM, 93.1 FM. Last segment, 701-293-9000, if you want to comment on anything on the show. Jay Thomas show coming up straight ahead, so be sure to t- stay tuned for that. Uh, Nolan, what do you think? That's uh, one of the, uh, well, I, the only Republican candidate who's officially in against Heidi Heitkamp. What do you think of this guy? Um, he seemed to say the right things, I guess, but I think it was interesting because, I mean, over the last, you know, two weeks or so, we've been kind of discussing this idea that he's been in the state legislature, but he considers himself to be an outsider. Uh, but then he, but I think he further clarified that today by saying that he's an outsider in terms of the federal ranks. Right. It's from, from what I understood of what he said, he said he was, yeah. he has no federal experience which he hadn't previously stated. 
Uh, so I guess I don't know how I feel still about kind of. I mean, I guess it depends on your comment. perspective. Yeah. I mean, Bergham certainly thought, I mean, he called the legislature the good old boys club. Yeah. And that certainly seemed to resonate with North Dakota voters. Are they now going to see a distinction between the legislature and, and serving in federal office in terms of who is and is not a, a an outsider when it comes to politics? I, I don't know. I mean, and, you know, he, he referenced, you know, he's only spent 240 days uh, in in Bismarck. And that's that's three 80 day legislative sessions, by the way, um, is, is what he's talking about with that number. Um, but. Being a legislator, I, I, a legislator, I, I think any any lawmaker would, would tell you is is more than just the legislature. I mean, they have interim committees. Uh, Senator Campbell is is on some of them. They travel to Bismarck regularly, meeting with constituents. I mean, it's it's a it's a year round job. I mean, they're they're not specifically in session, but they're certainly you know carrying out functions as lawmakers. So I don't know. I mean, I, I guess you know he put that spin on it, and that's that's sort of what he's hanging his hat on on the outsider thing and. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how important that is. That's how he's branding himself. It's certainly that brand worked very well for President Donald Trump. It certainly worked very well in North Dakota for, for Governor Doug Burgum. Will it work for Tom Campbell? I think that remains to be seen. Meanwhile, there are a, a crop of other very interesting candidates. I think Kathy Nesset is a very interesting candidate. I think State Representative Rick Becker is potentially a very interesting candidate. Um, I think it'd be interesting if, if Congressman Kevin Kramer chose to j- dive into that race. And also Tammy Miller at Border States Electric, like like Nest um, ha- and, and like Burgum, frankly, has a very accomplished private sector career, uh, very, very exciting career. A lot of the things that she's done, very interesting candidates. I look forward to, to learning more about her position on on, on the issues. And, and, I, and again, I, I think that's one thing that eventually – you know, I hope this race boils down into is what is your stance on the issues? Because it's it's one thing to say, well, I'm a farmer and I'm an outsider or I I work in, in Kathy Nesset's case. I work as an oil industry consultant or in Tammy Miller's case. I'm the CEO of a uh, of a major Fargo based company. Um, it's, it's just it's just very, very interesting that all this is going on and. It's it to me it's it's eventually we've got to get past sort of the biography of a lot of these candidates and get into what are their actual qualifications for the office and and, and also what are their positions on the issues because that's most importantly how are they going to push the button once they're in office anyway Jay Thomas show coming up next this that's it for the Rob Report you can always catch me here Monday through Friday one to two p.m. on nine seventy WDAY AM. And 93.1 FM, or of course, 24 hours a day, seven days a week at sayanythingblog.com, North Dakota's most popular political blog. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.